0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it is uh, it is bowl season. It is Christmas time. How are you doing? You ready to talk about some games and such?
1: I am, and I saw one of your two dogs behind you there come into the frame, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I think that's the little one. I think that's Hops. Um, she's getting bigger, but yeah, she's just kind of making her debut back there. Don't don't mind her. It's fine.
1: Nice. No, I, I will not mind her.
0: Um, she is allowed to offer her takes, though, so if you, uh, if you start to hear some non-human sounding noises um uh, that that would probably be the dog
1: yeah there are three golden retrievers between the two of us yeah and you have you have two of them that is so. that is
0: true that is true the yeah. dynamic duo of calvin and hops um yes of course the older one full name is calvin johnson weaver so you can imagine how uh, how we came up with that name
1: i can't even begin
0: to imagine how <laughs> you came up with that name go jackets um Mike, we, we have some news that we're going to discuss, and the, the last little bit of news that we get to is going to kind of dovetail into a couple of bowl game previews. So just a, a little bit of a heads up here, the way that we're going to do this. Um, we are going to preview the first two bowl games of the ACC's bowl season here on this episode, um, and then we will come back and record another episode that we'll preview the remaining games. But these will get you up through the December 23rd bowl game uh, for the, the Gasparilla Bowl. Um, so we will talk about that on this episode after we hit on some newsy items. Mike, before we get into the news, just to remind the people, go follow us on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Um, hit that thumbs up button. We really appreciate those who do. Uh, it is youtube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. Um, that is an at symbol, by the way, not not the letters A-T. Um, so go do that. Please follow us on Instagram at bc podcast acc, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all those good places. We really appreciate those who do. Um, again, we we've, we've been doing that at the end of shows, but we'll, uh, we'll just go ahead and drop that in the beginning just to uh, make sure that people hear it.
1: Yep, because we got an email saying that they didn't know that we had a YouTube channel. It's like, mm-hmm. well, we've been telling you. So.
0: Yeah, it turns out not everybody listens to every minute of every episode, which was news to us, but... You yeah, know, we, I was shocked by that. I, I thought that's what everyone was doing here, but, you know, who knows? That's fine. That's fine. Um, yep. Mike, let's get into some news, and I think the first thing that we want to talk about off the off the bat here is not explicitly ACC-related, but it is college football-related, and, and we don't have to go too far into this, but um, we did get some pretty terrible news. I think it started out Sunday night, uh, kind of continued into Monday, and then uh, we, we ultimately found out Tuesday of this week, we record on... Wednesday to December the 14th, we found out uh, that Mike Leach, uh, head coach at Mississippi State, formerly at Washington State, formerly at Texas Tech, uh, the guy who really uh, carried the flag for the air raid offense um, and has played such a part in revolutionizing college football and um, defining the way that that we know it to be played today by so many different programs. um, He unfortunately passed away pretty suddenly, uh, had a, a heart condition, there were some complications, and um, we found out Sunday that he was hospitalized. Found out um, Monday that it was pretty serious, and then Tuesday morning we found out that he had passed away Monday night. Um, and, and a guy who, you know, his contributions on the field, uh, pretty monumental. Like I said, I mean, he he is a he singularly, if you're not aware, is is pretty significantly responsible for a, a com, you know, a, a very. Um, a lot of the commonality between the offenses that you see in today's world of college football. Um, he has a massive coaching tree, including some of the most prominent head coaches in the sport today. Um, he, he was incredibly impactful and then man also what a character off the field, just such a unique human. And I, I got a ton of joy in the last couple of days, just reading Twitter and seeing people's stories. Everybody in the industry seems to have a Mike Leach story. Um, just a, a a unique and interesting person to the, to the nth degree, um, and somebody who you know whose contributions to the sport cannot be overstated, and uh, you know someone who will be missed. So just wanted to kind of call that out and, and recognize him and and the legacy that he leaves behind him for the sport.
1: Yeah, really terrible news. I mean, he I, it really just kind of came out of nowhere on Sunday, and he was hospitalized and he was in critical condition. And then we hear the news Tuesday that he had passed away on Monday night. So, I mean, it really kind of took a turn very quickly. Um, there, there are a couple of media members at Mississippi State that I have been um, I've been listening to. I've been listening to their podcast the last few year, uh, few days, Thunder and Lightning podcast. So there's the Mississippi State plug. They've done a really nice job just kind of talking about Leach and kind of the legacy he leaves. Uh, but the one thing they mentioned, one of the hosts mentioned, is that Mike Leach stopped by a Christmas party at one of the households of the hosts on Saturday night, and he was there with his son, and he had a great time. He was taking pictures with everybody, and he was talking about everything other than football, mm-hmm. right? In true Mike Leach fashion. Um, but for it was really just kind of a jarring, a jarring show that they did, um, talking about how he was just at their house, and he took a picture with this guy's wife, and he was hanging out with this guy's kid, and then, they're you know literally twelve hours later, they're getting. You know, they're getting phone calls and texts that something's going on with Leach, he's not in practice, not at team meetings on Sunday, and that something happened at his home. And then it just progressively got worse, right? So really just a a terrible thing. Um, Obviously a larger-than-life figure in the sport, always had an opinion on something, which I'm sure rubbed some people the wrong way sometimes, but he didn't care which is a very rare quality, Mm -hmm. I think, in today's society. Like, you generally don't have people who are willing to voice their opinion about literally anything, right? If you ask a question, he was going to answer it. So a lot of college football coaches are like, no, I'm staying away from that, I'm not going to talk about that. Not Mike Leach. If you ask him a question, he's going to answer it. You might not like the answer, but he's going to give you the answer. And he was always respectful in doing it. Everybody talks about how generous he was, the acts of kindness, um, what he had done in a short time in the Starkville community over the last two and a half years. That um, he's been there almost three years as the coach at Mississippi State and everything he's done in the community, uh, just a larger than life figure. Always had an opinion, was always willing to voice his opinion, um, was always respectful of you know respectful of other people and you know just a, a real giver to the community. So just a good person, right? And there mm-hmm. hasn't really been there hasn't really been many people saying. A bad thing about Mike Leach in the last seventy-two hours in the coaching profession, you know, like you'd be hard pressed to find somebody to say something bad about Mike Leach. So, um, pretty pretty remarkable um, that he was, you know, able to leave such an impact at his various stops. Um, and then, of course, really unfortunate now that that he has passed away. Yep. So, uh, thoughts and prayers to his family and friends and uh, the Starkville community and everybody who was impacted by him.
0: I think the, the story is a, it's a really quick story that I'll, I'll share. There's just one of a million that I saw on Twitter, again, in the last couple of days. But it was a story that was told by Lincoln Riley, of course, USC's head coach, former Oklahoma head coach, um, you know, really prominent head coach in the sport, who came off the Mike Leach co- coaching tree. Um, and he shared his story yesterday where, from early in his career. I believe it was at Texas Tech. Um, early in the days at Texas Tech for Mike Leach, that there was a day where – they were sitting in the office. Um, I think that you know L- Lincoln was sitting there going through film or doing something, taking some notes, going through a game plan. And um, Mike Leach gets a, a phone call, and he answers it. And pretty quickly, um, you know, they're, they're talking about non-football things, like very non-football things. Um, and, and they kind of just keep going and keep going, and, and Lincoln's still working. And then it's gotten to about an hour in, and all of a sudden you can kind of tell it's like something got disconnected. Um, and and Leach kind of is looking at his phone. You know, hello, hello, can you hear me? And he closes his flip phone, and then he you know he opens it back up and he redials him, and it's like, oh, can you hear me now? Yep, okay. And they keep talking for like thirty minutes, and finally the conversation ends. He closes the phone, and and Lincoln looks over at him and says, well, you know, who was that? And Mike Leach says, oh, they had the wrong number. <laughs> Like Mike Leach didn't care who it was or what they wanted to talk about. He just wanted to talk about it with them. You know, he was just yep. a, a unique, curious uh, individual. And like you said, Mike, I mean, you could ask him almost any question; he'd give you an answer. And and yep. anything from football to, um, you know, he was known as the pirate partially for his studied knowledge of pirate culture and government and such, and and all this stuff. But also, you know, I remember I saw a text thread where somebody just a week or two ago had texted him with a, like one of those grids of like animals and counts. And it was like, would you rather have like a hundred ducks defending you or 10,000 rats? And and like, there was like a whole text conversation that he had with Mike Leach of like animal combat discussion, you know, like it just, you know, just, he, he would just get into anything and everything. And so just a very unique, unusual, um, interesting individual. And like you said, didn't always rub everybody the right way at all times, but Um, someone who whose contributions to the sport I think both on the field and off the field as a character um, just something that will be incredibly missed
1: yep yeah thousand percent so So. terrible just terrible stuff Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely it sure is Um, so rest in peace Mike Leach Um, you know we will miss you the sport will miss you and uh, that legacy will live on for a, a long long time Mike, let's no easy way to transition off of that, but let's let's get into some news here that we do have from the ACC, uh, particularly in the coaching ranks. Um a couple of kind of an odd chain reaction that was set off uh a week or so ago really. And really we have we have one major piece of ACC coaching news that we're going to get to, but we're going to do that last because it dovetails into our bowl previews and I'm sure that doesn't Wonder
1: exist. wonder what that could be, ladies and gentlemen?
0: Could be anybody. Um but really specifically one person and always one school as as usual. But uh, we found out a a week or so ago, Tim Beck, offensive coordinator for NC state was leaving to take the coastal Carolina head coaching job um, after Jamie Chadwell has left that post for Liberty and not Georgia tech as it turns out. Um, So Tim Beck leaving to go take that job. So he leaves a, a void behind at NC state that was going to be filled by Robert Anai, former Virginia offensive coordinator and most recently Syracuse's offensive coordinator. So Anai now onto his third offensive coordinator role in three different years at three different ACC schools. Um, So that'll be interesting to watch. But, Mike, I I look at this and just that little change for NC State, I mean – I've heard things about a nine not being the most pleasant to work with. You know, guys don't necessarily like him as, you know, uh, um, like working with him per se, but like, I think that's an upgrade schematically, play calling wise, everything else. That is a good move for NC State here that's going to work out for them.
1: We think so. I mean, Tim Beck is fine. Like, NC State hasn't had a terrible offense, they've been fine, right? we were wondering why the passing offense wasn't as good as it could be with Devin Leary, a quarterback for the first half of the season. That was a little bit confusing, right? So we had our questions there. Uh, Robert and I has a track record of being definitively good wherever he's been, right? So, especially recently. Mm-hmm. So, UVA takes him to the next level of Brandon Armstrong, quarterback, goes up to Syracuse. Syracuse's offense immediately looks more well-rounded than it was a year ago. They're not just... Running, 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 running with Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker, of course. They're looking like an offense that can also throw the ball a little bit, which was a nice surprise for most of the year.
0: Specifically to like two guys, but that's fine. It, it,
1: anything would have been an improvement from last year. They literally couldn't throw the ball down the field. Like, they were just incapable of doing so.
0: Yeah, and I don't think that's an eye problem. I think that's – never mind. Anyways. Uh, right.
1: right. I, I would agree with that. So – but he untapped that out of Garrett Schrader, right? It looked good enough throwing the football. So now Anai goes to NC State, where he's going to be able to work with, I don't know, MJ Morris, for example, right? Nice young quarterback, dual-threat guy, huge arm, obviously athletic enough outside the pocket. Um, Definitely has the capability, the tools, for sure, uh, to be the next really good quarterback at NC State.
0: Not unlike Brandon Armstrong in a lot of ways, honestly.
1: Interesting you say that, because Brandon Armstrong's in the transfer portal. Hmm. And it makes you wonder could Brennan Armstrong potentially make his way to NC State? I know everybody was like, oh, they'll just go with MJ Morris. I mean, probably, right? Probably. But what if they don't? What if they just bring Brennan Armstrong in, and they're like, you know, we got a pretty good team returning, and Dave Doran's got an upgraded offensive coordinator, we think, and now he has the chance to, I don't want to say upgrade from Devin Leary, but I think it could potentially be an upgrade from... A young quarterback in MJ Morris. Not that Morris couldn't eventually get there, but would you rather have like a fifth year quarterback in Brand Armstrong or a second year quarterback in MJ Morris who's only played like a little bit early in the year? It depends on what your philosophy is and, and kind of what you think of the program in that given year. But I do think like there's opportunity there if Brand Armstrong were to say, Yeah, I'm going to go to NC State, where NC State, I think, almost immediately has to be considered you know, one of the teams to potentially beat in the ACC next year mm-hmm. if Armstrong returns to form, right? His old offensive coordinator back in the fold. He's at a new school, more playmakers around him. Like NC State offense, I think there's no argument it's better than what UVA had. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to like with that match if he decides to go that route. So I'm interested to see kind of where he transfers to.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that Virginia offense a year ago put up yards and points hand over fist. Right. Like that was like a 6-6 six and six team, but – that was not that they, they struggled to score or struggled to move the ball. You know, so that was, that was good. And I, th- I think really it was nice to me in a way to see that what Anai did at Virginia last year versus what he did at Syracuse this year was different. It was not the same offense. They weren't trying to run all the same stuff. And that tells me that there is a level of creativity and a level of uh, adaptability that he has to those, you know, to different personnel that he might be having to work with. Um, so that's a good sign. I would be interested, you know, and and Producer Scott mentions that uh, Brandon Armstrong currently being targeted by Oklahoma State. I think that would be an interesting fit. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I love that, but it's, you know, it'd be interesting. But I do think it would be, if if NC State were to go after Brandon Armstrong and try to create that reunion with Robert and I, I do think it would be an interesting test of the program's culture, we'll call it. And and really what I think back to, I'm starting to hear rumors that there were – there were some significantly like upper-level quarterbacks that were interested in coming to Georgia Tech, transferring in from other schools over the last couple of years that Jeff Collins turned down and just like dismissed you know altogether because they didn't want to spook Jeff Sims and scare him off, which is really an odd thing to say when uh, when you, you know, your whole moniker for your program is competition is king. Apparently it's not. Um, apparently competition is king until you're going to potentially scare off your quarterback and then it's no 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 we're just going to coddle you a little bit so that's that's yeah, all
1: competition competition's king everywhere else except for the most important position on the field which is where there should be the most competition
0: right or or other positions where you apparently just play favorites that's all fine anyways mm. the point is mm. if if dave doran is willing to bring in a transfer like grad senior you know what fifth year sixth year quarterback at this point in brennan armstrong for one year it's interesting that he would be willing to do that to then you know potentially compete with and and you, just I I'd be curious to see how that would impact MJ Morris moving forward. We're we're getting to a point in college football where this quarterback transfer thing is like just a constant, constantly turning wheel. Um, where right. it's like if you're not playing and thriving somewhere, you're transferring, and it's ridiculous to me. Um, and so I, I I don't know. I I'd be curious to see if he would do that for one year of Brandon Armstrong versus maybe let's see what we can do for the next two or three years with MJ Morris.
1: I mean, I I agree with you and I do think ultimately they will go with MJ Morris, right? Um, It's kind of fun to talk about though because Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, the quarterback position has been kind of a revolving wheel in the transfer portal. And it's come to a point now too where like, You could have one guy just entirely develop a quarterback and then he could just take his talent somewhere else and use all that skill that he learned under one system and just translate it to another and just be like really good in the quarterback you want him to be in like year three or year four somewhere else for some other school. And that's just like the really infuriating part, I think, for coaches um, in regard to the transfer portal is like you invest all this time and effort into developing this quarterback to be a really good player for your program in the latter stages of his career and then he just decides i don't want to be here anymore i'm gonna do this somewhere else and it's kind of always been the case that way but now it's just the transfer portal hits different right the last few years with the one-time transfer rule and that sort of thing so it almost comes to the point where like you don't want to like not develop your young players but also you don't know for sure if you're going to be able to retain them because that's like another part of this recruiting thing now is you recruit high school players, you recruit in the transfer portal, and then you recruit your own roster to stay every mm-hmm. year. And that, that's the interesting part about this whole thing.
0: Yep, absolutely. So Robert and I leaving Syracuse to join NC State as offensive coordinator. Tony White also leaving Syracuse uh, to go be the defensive coordinator at Nebraska under Matt Rule. He's been a very good defensive coordinator, I think, for a few years at, at Syracuse. The the three three five that he installed and kind of has been running there has been very effective, I think. They have probably punched above their weight in terms of talent um, and what they should, you know, in theory, should be able to put out. I think the the, the scheme and the play calling and everything has been very good. Um, the coaching of the individual player has been very good. They've actually had a couple of NFL-level players come out of there under his watch. So uh, he leaves to go to Nebraska. And, Mike, that leaves Syracuse with both coordinator spots empty. And – Yeah, It definitely makes me worry about how Dino is going to be able to react to that and handle that because of just everything else that we've talked about with the Syracuse program over the last few years.
1: Yeah, and he was entering this year on a hot seat too, right? So he enters this year on a hot seat, they win six games, then they lose five, and then they win the last one, right? Mm -hmm. And they end up seven and five, which still like way exceeded expectations. Mm -hmm. They weren't supposed to be that good. So, overall, a pretty good year. It was a tale of kind of like two halves of the season. Now you have to enter 2023 replacing two coordinators, potentially replacing Garrett Schrader, and then potentially also replacing Sean Tucker. Mm-hmm. The kind of the jury's out there in terms of whether or not those guys are going to return. So, there are a lot of questions around Dino Babers and the Syracuse program and. The fact that, like, they're obviously not going to make a move on him coming off of a seven-win season because that's hard to do with Syracuse. But also, like, moving forward, what's the ceiling going to be? And more importantly, maybe, like, what's the floor going to be? Like, are you going to get this team back to bowl eligibility consistently? Because I think in an ideal world, that's where Syracuse would want to be. But it's kind of it, it's kind of tough now to kind of project what they're going to be next year because there are a lot of question marks around this program, both on the coaching staff and with some of their best players on offense.
0: It definitely feels like these coordinator hires are something you you can't afford to mess up. Uh, no, I, I don't. This is no longer like a Dino Babers offense, the 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 Bryles thing. You know, he came off the Bryles tree. Like it's it's not that. So if if Babers isn't really running his offense it's really going to be up to whoever he hires to run and install their offense and their defense. And again, I I feel like that's the kind of thing that's a lot easier to mess up than it is to get right. Um, And and if you get it right, that's great. And maybe this turns into a little bit of something sustainable for Syracuse, but um, pretty tough spot and a pretty tough time in the tenure. uh, I think for Dino Babers, you got to get this right. So we'll see what he does moving forward at, at those spots. But I think this is going to be important for him and, the remainder of his tenure of, you know, who does he bring in one other piece of coaching news here, Georgia tech hires Buster Faulkner as offensive coordinator. He was most recently an analyst for, uh, Georgia and has been kind of the, I guess the go-between in, in, on game days and such between Todd Munkin and Stetson Bennett. And so there were some of the Georgia fan base, giving him some credit for Stetson Bennett's Heisman campaign and that whole thing. Um, truthfully, this does not move the needle. For me, um, I am I, I am somewhere between whelmed and underwhelmed by this. Hire. Joey,
1: he, he he developed a Heisman Trophy finalist, didn't he? Some may say some may yeah. say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. This
0: is this is a funny thing of people on, on Twitter, like freaking out that he was leaving and others being like totally underwhelmed, you know, or they just really didn't really care and became a whole thing of like, well, Georgia fans wouldn't put together this elaborate ruse of uh, really, really caring about this guy just to watch him break our hearts in the next two years of being a bad offensive coordinator, would they? Georgia fans yeah. don't care about Georgia Tech fans that much, do they? Do they? You never know. I don't know. Buster Faulkner, he, he, he was the guy, to be fair, if you're a Georgia Tech fan, if you've been for like 10 years, you might remember he was the offensive coordinator at Middle Tennessee uh, that got Al Groh fired as defensive coordinator back in 2012. Um, I was at that game when Middle Tennessee ran up 49 points on Georgia Tech's defense at Bobby Dodd Stadium. Turns out they had the signals for Georgia Tech's defense that day. Oh. Which, you know, kind of reduces the difficulty of calling plays and audibles and such if you know what the defense is running.
1: Makes it helpful. I will say that.
0: Yeah, sure does. Sure does. Um, So he's he's had one really good year, and otherwise a lot of the numbers I think typically would say that he's been fine – you know, not particularly bad, but not particularly good either. So I don't know. I, I'm somewhere, like I said, I'm between whelmed and underwhelmed here with this hire. Um, I, I I don't, I don't have a ton of faith that it's going to work, but I'm not like thinking it's going to be totally incompetent the way that maybe Dave Patnood's offenses were either. So
1: I guess we'll see as with all things. I mean, the, It was the, I don't want to say the best coordinator money could afford. Mm -mm. No. But like, it's an okay coordinator that kind of fits within the parameters of the money that Brent Key has to spend on his staff. Right.
0: Is that fair? I mean, to some degree, we also did find out some contract details for Brent Key. And basically, the idea was partially that they did increase the, the assistant staff pool you know, by 30% basically from what Jeff Collins had. So I guess in my mind, I was hoping that you'd maybe get a little bit more of a splash higher at coordinator, someone who's, who's doing something a little more dynamic elsewhere. I don't know what the plan is on offense. It might be to be a little bit more physical smash mouthy mid 2010 Stanford, you know, something like that.
1: 2022 Virginia tech.
0: Uh, Yeah. Well that might've worked except for a man named Grant Wells who Did not have the best time of it, basically. Gross. Yeah, it was gross. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the plan is here. Going to have to, I guess, just wait and see. Roster signing day stuff, you know, still far from settled. So, we'll see where things land. But um, right now, you know, I I think I told folks on on my solo show, I I could see this kind of ending in a lot of different places from a grade standpoint. And right now, I'm somewhere in the middle towards maybe the upper – uh the, the lower middle end of, of my scale for, for where this higher ends up. I'm I'm not super enthused by what I've seen so far.
1: I would say it's probably going about as I anticipated so far.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Is what I would say. Which is fine. Could be bad. Probably will just be okay. We'll Cl- see.
0: Cliff notes version seems to be the Georgia Tech is just broke. So uh, that's not a good feeling, but
1: that's (laughs) no, that's, uh, I'll tell you what, when there's more money than there's ever been in the sport, broke is a place you do not want to be, Joey.
0: No, because that gap does not get any smaller by uh, remaining
1: broke. That's correct. And when you have to see your rival every year in national championship contention, spending maybe the most money in the entire sport, that hurts. That is true. That hurts bad.
0: Doesn't feel good. Does not feel good. Mike, speaking of being broke, let's try not to be broke and uh, do a little ad read here before we get into our final piece of news that kind of dovetails into bold previews. How does that work?
1: That's the finest transition you've ever done into BetUS.
0: Yeah. True professional. True professional. BetUS.com, not a uh, not a service that we <laughs> not a endorse at this point. Not an ad. Yeah, not an ad. That's not an ad. That's, that's a joke. Um, What's not a joke, what is an ad, is Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. They have T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. they got some uh, stickers. They've got all sorts of cool things there. They use the official tech gold, all the official word marks. Um, Everything that you need to support Georgia Tech as a fan apparel-wise, it is all able to be found right there. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, There is still time to get gifts before Christmas or any of the other, uh, you know, winter celebrations you might be taking on. Uh, If you want to get something for the Georgia Tech fan in your life or for yourself, uh, go to section103.com. I'm wearing this, this uh, new gray coach hoodie. I cannot explain to you, Mike, how soft it is, uh, how warm it keeps me on these uh, cold, cold winter nights in Houston, Texas. Um, it is, it is incredibly soft. It's comfortable. It looks really good. Um, I, I highly recommend it. I've got a, a lot of their performance T-shirts. Those are also great as well. So go check, some, go check it out. They have things for men, women, children, something for the whole family. Really appreciate Steven and their partnership this season. Uh, and once again, go to section103.com and use promo code GOACC for all sorts of wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. Mike, with that being said, the final piece of news that we have, it was the uh, the biggest piece of news, truthfully, but again, just from a uh, transition standpoint, we wanted to try to yes. structure it this way. Yep. Mike, we, we recorded our last show about a week and a half ago. It was on a Sunday night, and there was a section within that show where we talked a, a, just briefly about the Fenway Bowl that Louisville is going to play in against Cincinnati. And we said that, you know, it seems like, Satterfield is not going to be fired for now from, from Louisville. Um, he will remain the coach for another year. And we had this whole conversation of, of you know, him and, and kind of where things stand going into this, uh, this, this bowl game. Mike, apparently as we were having that conversation, Scott Satterfield is having a couple of conversations, and we found out the next morning, before we could even post the episode, and shout out to Scott for uh, for putting a, a little bit of a, uh, a a forewarning on the episode that we didn't know this. We found out Monday morning that Scott Satterfield had accepted the open head coaching job at Cincinnati. Um, That's one piece of this. The other piece of this is that to fill their open head coaching role, Louisville has gone and hired Jeff Brom out of Purdue, as we talked about them potentially doing and wanting to do four years ago when they ended up hiring Scott Satterfield. Mike, there, there are a couple levels of like, what the hell here? The first one being... I, I mean first of all this is this is great for Louisville this I tweeted this out this could not have gone any better for Louisville honestly unless Jeff Brom had agreed to coach for free like bro
1: bro this is good for Satterfield too this is good for all parties
0: I mean it well it's not good for Cincinnati I don't think but we'll get there oh no, well, okay
1: <laughs> well, okay well okay we'll have that discussion I agree with you there
0: Scott Satterfield wanted a contract extension didn't seem like he was going to get one from Louisville so this kind of resets his clock so to speak it you know it'll extend out how long he gets before he gets fired so that's all fine Louisville upgrades at head coach I think pretty substantially here without I would agree without having to pay a buyout um absolutely unbelievable i mean a program like louisville that we've, we've talked about before is a team that it seems like there's just bad things around every corner for louisville in, in the last 15 20 maybe more than that years
1: <laughs> this is a good thing this is a
0: really good thing that kind of came out of nowhere this is like the yeah. opposite of louisville looking around deciding that they don't get enough attention and like lighting themselves on fire <laughs> right this is right. louisville looking around deciding they're not getting enough attention and like taking over the kingdom like this this is a big yeah. deal.
1: Yeah. Now, nah, this, this could not have worked out better for Louisville. In fact, like we were talking about Satterfield coming into the year as another one of those guys out of the ACC Atlantic that could get fired, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking about in September, it's like, hey, Satterfield, you opened up the season by losing to Syracuse? Are you sure that's what you want to do on the hot seat?
0: Mm-hmm. That was
1: the whole context of that week one recap. We were talking about how Dino Babers got a huge win in week one, and Satterfield had a huge loss, and both of them were on the hot seat. That's what we talked about in week one. Louisville goes out there; they make a bowl game. They win seven games. They look pretty good in October and November. You had Satterfield get himself successfully off of the hot seat, pretty clearly, right? Mm-hmm. Totally off the hot seat, just in time to know that he wasn't going to get a contract extension for Louisville because, hell, Louisville's athletic department says, you know, we is there more where that came from kind of got goes by Kentucky again which didn't help things <laughs> didn't help things and Satterfield says you know what I'm not sure there is more where that came from so I'm gonna go to Cincinnati now Cincinnati kind of like what the hell are you thinking yeah like this is you go from Luke Fickle who's taking you to the college football playoff to Satterfield mm-hmm. are you sure now what I will say is that Satterfield, and this was kind of the intrigue of the hire for Cincinnati, is that Satterfield has taken over a program in transition that's gone to a new conference and that's performed well when they've moved to a new conference. That was at App State, by the way, not Louisville. But now Cincinnati is going to the Big 12. And I'll tell you what, Cincinnati, given kind of what they've invested in their football program and the program that Fickle left behind, you know, Satterfield better do well with what's left there at Cincinnati, because if he doesn't, it's going to say more about Satterfield than it does about Cincinnati in that sure move to will. the Big 12. And I will say this is a great move for Satterfield. Sure. It's a great great move great move for Louisville. This, this worked out great. Mm-hmm. They got the coach they probably should have gotten four years ago, which they didn't because Braum said, you know, the timing isn't right. I just got to Purdue. It wouldn't be right for me to leave. Honorable thing for Braum to do. Mm-hmm. But you knew when Louisville came calling again that he was going to take that phone call mm-hmm. and he did and it's the most unsurprising hire in the world yep he goes back home great for Louisville don't pay a buyout like you mentioned on Satterfield Satterfield says I'm not getting an extension I'm going to I'm going to Cincinnati great move for Satterfield doesn't get fired goes to Cincinnati new contract new situation grass might be greener he might be fine at Cincinnati he could be fine he's shown that he can coach before like it might end up being okay for him. But if you're Cincinnati and you're a Cincinnati fan and you go from Luke Fickle, who could have easily left for the Notre Dame job last year, by the way, didn't, and then took the Wisconsin job. And now you're left with Scott Satterfield. You got some questions. If you're a Cincinnati fan coming off of what was kind of a rocky tenure for Satterfield at Louisville, you got some questions.
0: That's the big thing to me. in this whole thing is like, what the hell is Cincinnati doing? And and, and not, not only do I ask that because, well, Louisville fans want to get rid of Scott Satterfield, and it's never great when you're hiring a coach that other, the other team's fans are not sorry to see go. Like that they're, you know, I'll help pack your bags for you and the whole thing. Like that's, that's not a good sign when you hire that coach, A. Right, right. B, if you look at the reasons that Scott Satterfield was, was failing or struggling at Louisville, what of those reasons really gets better by going to Cincinnati? You're in the same region of the country. You're like an hour away. You probably have less NIL money to play with in the recruiting game. So culturally and all that is it's very different. You're going to the Big right. Twelve, which is another power right. conference where you're gonna to need to probably recruit better than he was recruiting at Louisville. And let's, by the way, make no mistake, this this all of a sudden, like, you know, excellent recruiting class that was started to be put together at Louisville this season. I don't think that Scott Satterfield and his staff just all of a sudden figured out how to recruit. I think there's probably a boatload of NIL money going around, which is why none of them decommitted when Scott Satterfield wasn't going to be there anymore. Like,
1: <clears throat> That's
0: correct. So it's just like, I don't understand what Cincinnati thinks that they're getting here. And I'm with you. Like, how does this follow up from Luke Fickle? I realize this is a program that just, recently, just last year was in the playoff, and you're replacing Luke Fickle, who I think is pretty well regarded as one of the top 15
1: coaches in college football. 10. I'd put him. Yeah, yeah. I'd put him even higher than that. Yeah, probably agree. agree. And agree.
0: you're replacing that with a guy who has messed around and had a number of, of issues on and off the field. Not nothing really serious, but like just has not really been impressive on or off the field for the last four years at Louisville. I don't get this for Cincinnati at all.
1: I don't either. Uh, so one other thing, too, I just want to clarify my earlier point where I said this is a great move for Satterfield. Mm-hmm. It's not a great move for Satterfield because Cincinnati's a better program than Louisville because right. I don't think that's the I don't think that's the case. I still think Louisville's a better program than Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And I know Cincinnati's had the more recent success, college football playoff, all that stuff. Louisville's got the money. right? Like, they got the money. Cincinnati, they're doing better in that department, but they're still in the American, right? I know they're going to the Big 12, but they're still in the American Joey Mm -hmm. like Louisville's got an unbelievable basketball arena unbelievable football stadium and football complex they got the NIL backing right they got the NIL you know the boosters are behind them in a way that Cincinnati's just aren't yet right so like when you look at the two jobs Louisville's the better job still Mm -hmm. right Cincinnati might be in a better spot right now with like current roster and that sort of thing in this moment but like in this very moment, but, like, Louisville's the better job. It's the better situation, in my opinion. So Satterfield's not upgrading situations in terms of, like, on the football side. He's upgrading situations in terms of, I'm not going to get fired from this place right away. So that's why I'm upgrading. Yeah. So I just want to make that very, very clear. I know some people on social media were talking about, oh, Cincinnati's a better job. This is a good move for Satterfield. It's a better job at Cincinnati than Louisville. No, it's not. Like, Mm-mm. I don't think so. I mean, may- maybe you feel differently. No. I don't think it's be- – I don't think Louisville in totality is a worse job than Cincinnati.
0: No. No, I, d- I don't see anything about Cincinnati, really, that makes it a better job than Louisville. No. Um, again, they're they're in the same area, the same recruiting ground, all that stuff. Louisville has more NIL money to work with, and part of that is having more interest from the city around it. Cincinnati's right. a little bit of a pro sports town. Louisville mm-hmm. does not have any pro sports. So mm-hmm. you've got the full attention of the city and, and, and all your fans and everybody else. Um, Cincinnati now moving to a power conference, but like, mm-hmm. so that's, I would say that's roughly equivalent. I don't know that the Big 12 is an inherently like positive thing. Or a negative thing compared to the ACC, I think it's pretty much an even footing kind of situation. So I would agree. I'm with you. I, I don't think that there's anything that makes Cincinnati a better job. It's just that the Scott Satterfield ship was sinking, and somebody threw him a life preserver. Like yeah. that's what this is. Yeah.
1: It's working. It's working out great for everybody, but it leaves us scratching our head about like, Cincinnati. What are you doing?
0: So congrats to Scott Satterfield for grabbing the life preserver. That's a great move by him, as opposed to just yes. sinking.
1: Yes. Not as stupid. Look, we can say a lot of things about Satterfield. He's not stupid. No. He, he confirmed that. He is not dumb. Right. He, took, he, he got himself out of the situation where he was probably going to get fired in the next like 24 to 36 months. Exactly. Now,
0: should Cincinnati have thrown him a life preserver? Different discussion. But, correct. But the point is, correct. you're correct. Um, yeah. Good move for Satterfield. Weird move for, for Cincinnati. Louisville hires Jeff Brom, who, speaking of, what, top 20 to 25 coaches yeah. in the sport? Uh, yeah, <laughs> Jeff Brom has, has, is a massive improvement for, for Louisville here, and I, I think it's an ideal scenario. He is a guy who, you know, you can look and say, well, Scott Satterfield was like one game over five hundred at, uh, at, at Louisville, and, and Jeff Brom has only been like, what, 36 and 34, like two games over five hundred at Purdue. The difference is Louisville, making Louisville successful is not a massive challenge. Purdue in the three four years before Jeff Brom showed up was bad. what nine and thirty four, really bad, horrendous. And yeah. so the fact that he has made them consistently competitive, successful. They've made bowl games in four of his six years. A fifth year was the was the COVID year. Um, so does that even count on on certain uh, in certain ways? I don't know. But what he has done, given the spot that he was at and historically what Purdue has been. Um, I, I think it speaks very highly to his ability as a coach. And I've said before, I believe, on this show, I've believed for a while that I think Jeff Brom's offense and what he wants to do would work a lot better at Louisville than it would work at Purdue. Um, Purdue being in the Big Ten West is not really a great place for trying to, to you know play basketball on grass and, and throw the ball around and, and do all that. I think it will work a lot better at Louisville. Um, I, I I don't know that you can necessarily recruit better to an ACC school than you could do a Big Ten school, but when you look around at the competition and what Louisville's able to do relative to its conference mates versus what Purdue is yep. able to do, yep. I think in every way this is a a a win for Louisville. This is a big upgrade. The only way that I can see this really kind of failing, Mike, is if this becomes something else that was mentioned that I mentioned on the Brent Key show, which was the whole dream job thing, right, where Jeff Brom is coming home and it's his – I don't even know if he said that it's his dream job, quote-unquote, but, like, you figure, I mean, you're coming home. This is where you play. This is where you grew up. Like, you know, this is a Mama Called situation. Um, right. That has failed a number of times recently. Mm-hmm. Jeff Collins in Atlanta, most recently. Willie Taggart at, at Florida State. Scott Frost at Nebraska. Like, yep. you can go over a number – Tom Herman at Texas. Um, you, can, you can find a number of these – where it did not go well, and it—I don't know why. It, it could be that you're just so starstruck by I'm coaching my my dream job that you start to ignore problems or something like that. You know, so unless there is something to that that keeps Jeff Brom dis- distracted or you know impairs his judgment in some way, I think this sets up to be just a massive coup for Louisville. And I I think we'll elevate this program for a number of years to come. And the other thing that I'll mention is on the, I don't, you know, assuming that Louisville does not fire Jeff Brom, that things don't go just totally South in some way or other. I think that this is also kind of gig for Jeff Brom that there is a small handful of jobs that might call him where he would answer the phone at this point. Yep. It would have to be a top eight, to 10, maybe 12 type of job that could just pay him a king's ransom to make him even take the phone call. I think he might stick around here for quite a while unless
1: I agree. something
0: like that were to come up.
1: This is a long term job situation for Brahm if they'll have him. I agree with that. Now, of course, like, never say never, always pick up the phone, all the stuff you hear in your career, right? Like, not even as a football coach, Mm -hmm. just in your career. Like, you always answer the phone, you never burn any bridges, all that stuff. Like, all that stuff still applies here, but it would have to be a pretty different opportunity for Braum to be like, yeah, I'm going to leave Louisville short of it, just not going well. And there have been plenty, like you mentioned, you know, plenty of homecoming-type jobs that have not gone well. The Frost one is the most head-scratching, where it was like, undefeated at UCF, hottest name in the coaching carousel, going home to his alma mater, falls on his face. Mm-hmm. Makes no makes no sense. I still don't really understand. Like On paper, checked off a billion boxes. He's a great coach, is what we were thinking. And then he goes to Nebraska. It made no sense. Jeff Brom falling on his face at Louisville would make no sense. It would be in that category. It would be in that category bucket mm-hmm. so i mean it would be a surprise to me if he were to to go there and not do very well i think this is going to be a great hire for louisville and maybe we end up being really wrong about this later but it, it, it again on paper it checks off a lot of boxes he's taken over a tougher program at purdue and he's turned it around mm-hmm. he's got more to work with at louisville you know who's really mad about this joey or who, who should be really mad about this malik cunningham <laughs> because jeff Brom if he came 4 years ago like he was supposed to in my mind like he was supposed to and he got to coach Malik Cunningham i think his ceiling would have been unbelievable in the Jeff Brom offensive scheme yeah. versus what he's dealt with over the last 3 to 4 years at yeah. satterfield it's just totally different man it, it makes you wonder like he i feel like for as good of a career as he had and he had you know right he's right there with Lamar Jackson Louisville record books 1 2 in mm-hmm. a bunch of different categories I feel like he could have been like far and away the best quarterback in the school history in a Jeff Brom type offense. Yeah, and there's no way to ever know that, but he's got to be really like looking at it, like really, like now, now you come, like now you show up. <laughs> this would have been fun, you know, four years yeah. ago, like you said. Yeah, now I have now I get to watch my alma mater in that offense that I never got to play in. He's gonna be kicking himself.
0: And I don't think that I, I mean I do think that Scott Satterfield's system. Probably enabled Cunningham to use his legs a lot more than Brahms would, you know. But right, how would that have impacted the trajectory of his career and his place in Louisville history and all that? You know, who who knows? And it wasn't a
1: terrible fit, no. but it could have been. And and Satterfield's offenses weren't terrible. I mean, they they were decent. Mm-hmm. But it, I feel like the Brahm offense with Cunningham and the way he plays, I feel like it could have been like a different a different level through the air.
0: Yep, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. So. I mean, this is a huge win for for Louisville. We'll see what he ends up doing with his assistants. Um, It seems like his offense will be the way, you know, but in terms of defensive coordinator and such, I'll be curious to see if he brings his brother, Brian, from Purdue. Uh, It sounds like Brian is going to coach Purdue in their bowl game. Uh, But then I I would assume that he'll come and be either the offensive coordinator and or the quarterback's coach for Louisville, Mm -hmm. and they'll really just be getting the band back together. Uh, The old Brom family in Louisville has been a a longstanding institution. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. It would
1: shock me if Brian Brom did not show up, but we'll see.
0: Mike, the first game in the post-Satterfield era for Louisville, they will be playing Scott Satterfield's Cincinnati Bearcats.
1: Of course they will. That's what college football does.
0: I, I, for one, I was thinking about this earlier. It's like, do, do you think Scott Satterfield gets confused going to, like, the pregame press conferences here? Like, which side of the table do I sit on? Or, like, whose hand do I shake? Or, you know, do I shake my own hand? Like, how, <laughs> this is, I, I this love is the how... wildest thing I think that maybe has ever happened in terms of a bowl matchup and coaching changes and all that.
1: Yeah, I just love how Satterfield in his introductory press conference at Cincinnati was like, Yeah, I've already told both teams I'm abstaining from the bowl game. Ooh. I was like I was like, why couldn't you just go coach Cincinnati in the bowl game? It'd be way funnier. You've been coaching Louisville all year. Mm-hmm. Now you get to coach your new team, like in the bowl game, like with like a month to prepare. That'd be way funnier.
0: Mike, we all played football in our backyards growing up. Like you had an all time quarterback at times if the numbers didn't really work out. Like <laughs> Scott Satterfield, all time. <laughs> uh all-time head coach all-time play caller or something like that like that would be fun right
1: oh my god bowls don't matter that's a great that's a great example yeah that's a great example (laughs) all-time head coach yeah that
0: would be uh that would be one for the ages this is uh yeah this is gonna be really interesting and fun to watch i think um i i don't feel like there is a whole lot of love lost by the way from the louisville fan base for scott satterfield so um i I don't think that this is like some uh, you know send off swan song kind of thing. I think this is a little bit of a don't don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out kind of thing.
1: Yeah, like a a good riddance yeah. situation. I think
0: at eleven o'clock on Saturday, December the seventeenth, Mike on ESPN. So we're playing a game at eleven o'clock in the morning. This is at Fenway Park in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, it is the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, and Mike, I don't know if you realized this. I didn't. I, I learned this earlier today. Did you know that this is not actually sponsored by, like, some company that makes, like, the, the Japanese, what, peas or, or, or the, the seasoning or whatever? Who is this sponsored by, Joey? It's the, it's the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. It is sponsored by Wasabi Technologies, an American object storage service provider based in Boston, Massachusetts, that sells one oh. product, an object
1: storage service called Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage. Well, you learn something new every day. I assumed that I assumed it was food-related. I was very wrong. I, I assumed the same. I, I assumed the same.
0: Uh, Mike, it is Louisville taking on the Cincinnati Bearcats. The Louisville Cardinals taking on the Cincinnati Bearcats. Louisville is a one-and-a-half-point favorite with, with a total of 40 points, Mike.
1: I was going to say, you know, is there going to be more offense in this game or with the 2023 Boston Red Sox, that's the question, <laughs> you know. And before you before you rush to answer, you got to really think about it.
0: Yeah, a, a field goal would put that out of reach for the Red Sox. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, three three to nothing. Three to nothing. That's that's probably
0: good enough. Mike, we have so this is the thing when we get to these ball previews. I think almost every single one of these games for the ACC, I have a strong opinion about. Either it is a particularly great or a particularly awful spot for that ACC team, from a just like a how are they going to fare in this game standpoint. I'm I'm going to venture to guess that this is not one of those games, Joey. No this this is I, I have a strong opinion on the spot here. Oh, do you? I think this do is a you? I think it's a really bad spot for Louisville. Yeah, um, yeah. Again, coach leaving. Don't think they give a damn. Uh, Malik Cunningham not playing. Uh, Tyon Evans not playing. A number of guys not playing for Louisville. You're playing at 11 o'clock in a baseball stadium in Boston. <laughs> I don't think that Louisville gives a damn about this game at all. Um, I, I And not that I think that Cincinnati is particularly good. If this game were being played in week four, you know, in Louisville or at a neutral site or whatever, like I would probably pick Louisville to beat Cincinnati. I've been, I've been pretty underwhelmed by the Cincinnati team for a lot of the year. Um, they're nine and three, but like,
1: <clears throat> Ben Bryant kind of stinks.
0: Yeah the, yeah, the offense has especially not really been a good follow-up to last year's Cincinnati team. Um, they, they lost a lot off that team. So I, I think Louisville, at full strength and full effort, would be the better team. I just don't think that Louisville is anywhere near full strength or full effort here. I don't know who's sti- – by the way, there's been a couple of coaches from that Louisville staff that have been hired to Cincinnati now. Hell yeah. Speaking of like getting weird, I don't know what's going on in this game. I cannot pick Louisville. I'm honestly a little surprised that they're favored here. So I, I think, for all intents and purposes, just give me Cincinnati outright. I think the Bearcats win this game, maybe by seven to ten points. I don't think Louisville cares.
1: Yeah, I think Cincinnati wins too. But the only thing I want to say here is, I really hope there's some sort of Wakey league situation. Yeah, where there's like, <laughs> like oh, I ax- another great Mike Leach story. By the way, oh, I I lost my play sheet. That's really weird. That's on the ground. That's odd. <laughs> I saw this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Go check. Go check that out. That was a. Uh, against Texas, right? Yeah. And when he
0: was the Oklahoma offensive coordinator under Bob Stoops and he they uh,
1: dropped his play sheet. That's intentionally, weird.
0: Intentionally, like planted it.
1: Yeah, planted the play sheet and then <laughs> and then Texas was like, "Oh, we have Oklahoma's plays." And, it was their and then script. they got roasted.
0: It was their first 15 plays of the game or whatever except yeah. they were fake, and so Oklahoma proceeded to use that fake knowledge to call actual plays. And they went up seventeen to nothing on Texas by doing that. <laughs> they got roasted. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, yeah. One step ad.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, we. Did, I want something like that to happen here. I would love that. I think that would be like just like the funniest, best thing. Um, yeah. I will say here too. By the way, we we mentioned this on the the last episode as we kind of breezed through the bowl games. This is the, uh, the a revival of the battle for the keg rivalry nails uh, rivalry that's not been played between these two teams since 2013. Mike, do you know who the head coaches of these two teams were in 2013 when this game was last played?
1: Petrino? Nope. Um, Who was before Petrino? Oh, boy.
0: Former Texas head coach. Anything? Nothing? Nope. Nothing. Nope. One Charlie Strong? Oh, that's that's bad. That's a
1: badness by me. (laughs) Charlie Strong Strong.
0: was the head coach of the Louisville Cardinals that featured Teddy Bridgewater, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. He beat up on the Cincinnati Bearcats that day, coached by former Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville. (laughs) Might be current Alabama Senator or Representative. I'm not really sure. But, uh, yeah, that was Tommy Tuberville's Cincinnati team in 2013, I think one year removed from Butch Jones being their head coach. So uh, good times. Hell, Yeah. So this will be the first time they've played this game in uh, close to 10 years. I don't know if they're bringing the actual keg, the uh, rivalry trophy. Once again, things I think would be fun that they should be doing that I don't know if anybody gives a damn enough about this game to actually do, but we'll find out.
1: This game's at 11 a.m. in Boston. Somebody's bringing the keg, Joey.
0: Oh, there'll be a keg there. That's for sure. There
1: will be a keg. I don't know know who will be bringing it, but there will be a keg.
0: One more uh, point of order here that is worth noting. It just really amplifies the whole thing even just that much more. One of the uh, the quirks of playing this game in a baseball stadium, Mike, is that these two teams will be sidelined on the same sideline.
1: Oh, yes, because there's not enough room on the other side of the field for the team to stand.
0: That's right. So not only will these two teams that are swapping head coaches of sorts and their arrival and, and the whole thing, not only are they playing in a bowl game together, but they will also be on the same side of the field, uh, just on either side of the 50-yard line the whole game. So... Uh,
1: that's what happens when you try to play a football game in one of the smallest and oldest baseball stadiums mm-hmm. in major league baseball. That's what happens.
0: Yeah. It's almost like we shouldn't play football games in baseball stadiums, but who's to say? I, I don't know. Uh,
1: just uh, the Wasabi Fenway bowl, right?
0: That's, That's right. What we're doing. That's right. Sponsored by the Japanese peas. Um anyways, I, I I'll just I'll I'll leave it at this, Mike, is that I will be stunned if you watch this game for the you know from pregame to you know the end of it, and nothing really weird happens. Like yes. this has all the makings of something really wild to happen. So we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition or not. But uh, yeah, give me give me Cincinnati outright in this game. I, I don't think Louisville care, I don't think Louisville cares at all.
1: No, I don't think so either. Yeah, give me give me Cincinnati on the money line here, and I'm willing to die with that bet because I I just don't know what the motivation factor is going to be for either team. So just give me the give me the dog. Total of
0: forty, I guess I'll go over. Again, motivation, I think more impacts defense than offense. So I guess over, but there's a reason it's forty. I
1: I have a hard time betting the over in a game that's not going to feature Malik Cunningham on one sideline. It's gonna have Ben Bryant playing quarterback on the other. So (laughs) I'm gonna go go under here. I'm
0: assuming that one of the quarterbacks we'll see is something called Brock Duman. Um,
1: do man <laughs> brock do man something called brock do man we'll see how that goes Doman,
0: mike one more game uh, of the ACC's bowl season and then we're going to come back and preview the rest of them on an episode later next week on december the 23rd friday at 6 30 p.m on espn it is the union home mortgage gasparilla bowl from, yeah. from raymond james stadium in tampa it is the wake forest Steeman Deeks taken on the Missouri Tigers. Wake is a 1 point favorite. Total is 60 and a half. Uh that total feels a little bit low, so I lean with the over here for a couple teams that mm-hmm. I think will be able to score
1: pretty well on each other. Yeah, I lean over, but like I don't really know like other than that how to feel about this. Mhm. Like do you, do you feel strong you you mentioned you have a number of ACC games um, here in the bowl season where you feel strongly one way or another is this one of them
0: not really not as much if any okay. if i
1: if i did it would not be in favor of wake um okay Wake. it's an sec team or
0: well it's a little bit of that you know and, and missouri is only six and six but four of their six losses by, by one score including a yeah. near win over georgia um, yep. They have won, I think, three in a row, maybe to get to bowl eligibility, including knocking off Arkansas. I believe it was there in the final mm-hmm. week of the season. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Wake Forest has lost four of their last five. They have really stumbled into the the you know stumbled past the finish line here. I think Missouri, if anything, will be a more put together team at this point. Have mm-hmm. we seen any news on like Sam Hartman? Is he playing?
1: Um, uh, not that I, I haven't seen anything. To indicate that he's not playing. Okay. So,
0: I know that he's said he will not be returning to Wake Forest next year. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that means he's going to the NFL or if he's transferring somewhere. I don't know if that's been established at this point. Um, I just I don't get good vibes about this game for Wake Forest. I I, maybe this is a bit of a a send Sam Hartman out with a bang kind of situation. Um, you know, a a few guys that are, are seniors on this team, you know, maybe send them off well, but like. I kind of feel like Missouri is a better team that's been playing better here over the final month or so of this season. So this does not bode well for Wake to me. And I'm honestly, once again, kinda of surprised that Wake is favored.
1: Yeah, that's kinda of how I feel too. You brought up the one score game stat, stole that. So I, I was on I was all over that. So Sorry. I it's okay. That's I'll allow it. It's a good stat, right? Like yeah. the zoo is not probably not as bad as the record would indicate, right? Mm-hmm. And college football is the one sport where when, you know, people are like, oh, you are what your record says you are. No, not in college football, because everybody's everybody's strength of schedule is just totally different. Very random Um, game. Yes. Very, very random. So, yeah, I think Mizzou might be the better team here. And the fact that right now, as of the time of this recording, they're catching a point makes me just want to take the underdog. And now mm-hmm. we got two ACC games here that we're previewing here to kick off bowl season, and we're not picking the ACC team in either one of them, Joey.
0: Hmm. That's a pattern so, to pay attention to.
1: I, <laughs> I'd say so, because when you look down the bowl schedule, Joey, you mentioned that you had some strong opinions, and you know what? Taking a look at the schedule, I think I do too.
0: Mike, how'd the ACC do in bowl season last year? Not great. Not great think there might be a couple bucks to be made on uh acc bowl games this year and it is not by betting on acc teams we'll say that
1: yes i I would agree
0: so i would agree (laughs) so yeah give me missouri outright in this game and the Gasparilla bowl um yep you never know i mean it's it's an sec team playing in a an s in a uh, pre-christmas bowl game in tampa like who knows they might show up and like not absolutely give a damn at all about this game but like if they do, I, I think that they're better and playing better than Wake, so I will uh, I will take the Tigers there.
1: Yeah, I, again, it's one of those like weird games where it's kind of like a coin flip, so you mm-hmm. may as well just take the underdog and, you know. It's not that Mizzou doesn't have any motivation. Like, there's going to be a motivation factor to win this game here, but, like, is Sam Hartman really going to be all in here?
0: Uh, yeah. Mm. Would you be? Probably not.
1: Probably not. Not if I'm already declaring I'm not going to be returning.
0: Depends on how much you like the spirit of competition, Mike, I think is is probably the answer. That's true. That's all you got to play for here. So there you have it, Mike. That is uh, the ACC's two bowl games before Christmas. Once again, that's the Wasabi Fenway Bowl on the morning of Saturday, December the 17th, and is the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl on Friday, December the 23rd at 6.30 p.m. Both games on ESPN. Uh, Most of the ACC's bowl lineup on ESPN with a couple of exceptions that we'll get to the the remaining 7 yeah 7 games of the ACC's bowl lineup mike are on Wednesday December the 28th, Thursday the 29th and Friday the 30th. We are going to come back and preview those here in another episode. We had a bunch of news and such that we wanted to get through in this as well. So um, we will save an additional kind of dedicated episode for those three games. I think we are actually we've decided to do this differently than in, in recent years mike where we added separate episodes for each day. Um, You should be probably getting a preview in your podcast feed probably the morning of December the 26th, I would imagine Mm -hmm. as folks start to go back to work or uh, at least, you know, kind of get back to a little bit of normalcy after uh, the whole Christmas season. So um, keep your eyes out for that as we will get you ready for the rest of ACC's bowl season, Mike.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good ones.
0: Yes. A lot of good ones. Um, Like I said, games that I feel pretty strongly about spots for the ACC and, uh, not a ton of them that I feel great about, but we will uh we'll we'll see. Yep. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we work on getting out of here? I think we're good. Uh you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI, together at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns, the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. You can uh find us on itunes we're on spotify uh we're on amazon music anywhere you can go get your podcasts uh, go find us there uh mike where else can they find us in the social medias
1: facebook facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review find all Find well not all of our podcasts find some of our podcasts there uh and then instagram as well at bc podcast acc
0: please do please do appreciate those who have uh and once again we're on youtube uh youtube.com slash at the acc football podcast uh, once we get to 100 subscribers, we're close, Mike. We're up, we're north of 80, but once we get to 100, we will actually be able to have a, just like a proper dedicated URL without an at symbol or anything like that. So
1: monetize.
0: The quicker that y'all can uh, y'all can help us with that, the quicker that we can give you a legitimate place to just actually like go hit the subscribe button and find our content. So we yep. appreciate that. Yep. Mike, anything else? No, I think we're good. You want to come back and uh, preview the rest of the ACC's bowl games? Yes, sir. Have a merry Christmas. If I don't talk to you until then, and certainly to the people that we won't uh, we won't talk to before then.
1: Yeah, yeah. You and I might talk before then, but definitely not the people.
0: Very likely, very likely. Yeah. All right, Mike. Sounds good. Have a uh, have a good Christmas. We will talk to you again soon. Until next time, for Mister Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon, and until then, go ACC.